0: Welcome to the Cherry Hills podcast. We're in a series called One, in which we are rediscovering the heart of God and learning that joining Jesus' mission means sharing his heart for the one. Thanks for joining us.
1: I, I didn't grow up in the faith, I didn't grow up in the church. So before Jesus was a part of my life, I, uh, I, was, I was doing a, a lot of the things that I'm still doing today. I had a lot of the same personalities. For example, uh, I've always been really curious. <laughs> I've always had lots of questions. Uh, I've always had a drive and a hunger, um, strong opinions. <laughs> I'd say before Jesus, which I, I, I'm, I met Jesus and came to faith in college, so before that I was I was running after things like wanting to have a good time, and what's the direction for my life, and uh, you know, asking lots of questions. And a lot of that stuff remains to this day, uh, but the thing that changed for me is that uh, I had something to give myself to, which was uh, the self-sacrificial love of Jesus. Uh, and before I was giving myself to all these different things and there wasn't one orienting, overarching thing that, that brought those all together. But for me that would be his self-sacrificial love and following him. And so that would be the biggest difference. So my life story uh, just has all these touch moments of different people in my life, like all of ours do, I'm sure. And um, my mom uh, had had a, a very private faith but I think a a deep faith. Um, Her aunt uh, was a missionary overseas, and though I didn't grow up in the church, um, we had strong family values uh, growing up and a strong uh, value of of love for others. And so then I I go to college with all these questions and I I start meeting people. So I was was in university choir there, and uh, the professor and director of that choir, his name's Brad Holmes, and he was such a mentor in my life Uh, the time singing that choir being involved with those students other people with faith guy by the name of jared baird i befriended when i was a freshman uh, at college and i had all these questions i just started asking him these questions and he had answers and then when he didn't have answers he went and found them and he became a lifelong friend of mine Uh, lots of others along the way uh, like that that i ended up uh, befriending, being able to ask uh, these questions, and um, that was that kind of community, forming a community and meeting these people was, was a big part of my faith journey.
0: I've been so thankful for these videos the past six weeks, and it just reminds me every week that at one point we were all ones. We were all still on the way. And I just want to say to you this morning, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I'm so thankful that you are here to hear the good news of Jesus. But you are not alone. We have all been there, and we have all been ones at one point. And we are praying for you that you will put your trust in Jesus. But you heard just a few minutes ago that our vision here is to see people of every generation give themselves fully to Jesus and his mission. And we're in the final week of a series called One, and if you're following in your notes, we're learning that joining Jesus' mission means sharing his heart for the one. It means sharing his heart for the one for those who do not know him yet, for those who are still on the way, for those who still have questions. And we spent the past five weeks looking at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, and three parables that Jesus told that reveal God's heart for the one. And what we've learned is that God's heart longs for a relationship with everyone that he has created. Through these stories in Luke 15, we have learned that God's heart is inviting It is generous. It is extravagant. He rejoices and celebrates when one of his children comes home. As the Jesus Storybook Bible says, one of my favorite translations, it says this, God loves you with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. That is the heart of the Father. And the reason we spent the first five weeks studying the heart of God rather than jumping into techniques, into how to reach people or have conversations with people with the good news of Jesus is, if you're following in your notes, until we share the heart of God, we won't be motivated to join Jesus' mission. If we don't have God's heart for the one, we will not love people the way Jesus loved people. It's been my experience that anything done out of guilt or compulsion will not last. It just won't last. But if we're motivated by the great love of God that has been shown to us through Jesus, that sticks. That that sticks. So we know the heart of God, But we still may have these lingering questions, right? Yes, but how? We know the heart of God. How do we share the heart of God? So today I want to invite you to open your Bibles or take out your tablets, open your phones to the Gospel of John chapter 20. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're going to be in John chapter 20 today. John chapter 20. And what we're going to to learn is that to share the heart of God, it has to start here. It has to start here. If you're following in your notes, we must see ourselves as sent people. We are sent people. But I think what happens, right, is sometimes we think being sent is reserved for missionaries like the Ashworths that we prayed for who sell all their possessions and they move up to a foreign country. And sometimes that is true. God does ask some people to do that. But all of us, all of us are sent. All God's people are commanded to go. There's no special class of sent ones. How do you know if you've been sent? Once you have called on the name of the Lord... Called on the name of Jesus. You are forgiven of your sin and saved. Like we sang about today, you have in turn been sent. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, congratulations, you've been sent. You've been sent. And the reason we're sent, if you're following in your notes, is because our God is a sending God. Our God's ascending God. I want to spend a few minutes here because this is so important for us to understand. When we think of the attributes of God, we most often think of characteristics like we sang about today, holy, holy, holy. Wisdom, justice, love, righteousness. But rarely do we think of God as a sending God. But throughout Scripture, God's sending nature is evident. From Abram in Genesis 12 to the angel in Revelation 22, literally hundreds of examples of sending language portray God as a sending God. The Hebrew word to send, shalak, is found nearly 800 times in the Old Testament. And in 200 of those times, God is the subject of the verb. He is the one sending someone. And go through the Old Testament. You can find this. Abraham, Moses, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jonah. The list goes on. They've all been sent. And in the New Testament, sending language is not only found in the four Gospels. It's found in the book of Acts and each of the letters. The most comprehensive collection of sending language is found in the Gospel of John, where we are today, where the word sent is used nearly 60 times. The majority of those uses refer to the title of God is the one who sends, and Jesus is the one who is sent. Right? We started this whole series looking at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. He sent his one and only Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And in the final climactic uh, sending passage in John's gospel, Jesus appears for the first time after his resurrection and he appears to his disciples, and this is what we're going to pick up today in John chapter 20, verse 19. You can follow along in your Bibles. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw The Lord. We're going to pause there for just a second. I believe the first words Jesus said to his disciples were, Peace be with you, is because they were terrified on several levels, right? They were locked inside of a room because they were scared of what might happen to them because they saw what just happened to Jesus, that he was crucified. And they were also terrified because there was a person that had died three days earlier standing in front of them. I'm not sure how you would respond to that. I think I would be terrified as well. But we're told, as Jesus reveals himself to them, he says, peace be unto you, and they are overjoyed. And what we learn from this is fear turns to peace and joy in the presence of Jesus. And that's what happened with these disciples. And now, would you read with me verse 21, found in the first gray box on your notes. This says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This is what he said when he appeared to them for the first time after his resurrection. Just as the Father sent me, I'm now in turn sending you. If you were reading that in Latin, it'd be a very familiar word. The word send is missio, or mission, where we get our word, go, it's our mission. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, has this beautiful quote about what Jesus is saying here. We can read this on the screen. He says, what Jesus is saying is, I am a missionary, and now all of you are missionaries too. What he's saying is, the shape of my life is sentness. I have been sent. I have a mission. Now, my mission is the model for your life. What's the mission? The mission that we are given is to be sent out. And Jesus goes into greater detail on our mission in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. This is commonly known as the Great Commission that Jesus gives his followers immediately before he ascends to heaven. And we read this on the screen. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Would you read this with me now? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the mission. We are sent on that mission. Jesus makes it very clear he is not only sent by the Father, but now he is the sender. And he sends his disciples and he sends us. And after he sends them, don't miss this, something very important happened. We read about it in verse 22. Would you read this with me in the second gray box in your notes? This is what happened after he sends them and commissions them. He says, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Let me explain that just a little bit. When someone follows Jesus, when they place their trust in what Jesus accomplished on the cross, they receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus now lives inside of them. And he instructs us. He leads us to all truth. He helps us understand Scripture, convicts us of sin when we've lost our way. And if you're following in your notes, the Holy Spirit also guides us and empowers us for mission. Empowers us for mission. The reason verse 22 is so important and the reason the last sentence of the Great Commission is so important, right? I will be with you always to the very end of the age. The reason it's so important is because Jesus never expected us to go out on this mission alone. God didn't lay the great commission on our shoulders as if he expected us to go accomplish it for him. We are on mission with him. And just as he's the only one who can save, he's the only one who empowers for mission. And if we forget this, man, if we forget this, we saddle ourselves with a burden too heavy to carry we are empowered by the Holy Spirit for mission. And we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes when we get into the practices that we see Jesus use. But God has always been a sending God, and he empowers us through his Holy Spirit to join him in his mission of making disciples. So understanding we are sent is important because it's our mission from Jesus. But there's another reason it's important, and it's because of the cultural context that we find ourselves in in 2020. The the cultural context is that we are now living in a post-Christian culture. And what I mean by that is we no longer live in a culture where there's an agreed-upon set of values and morality. We no longer live in a culture where people look to the church for values and ethics, which was the case... In the past, people now perceive the church as having nothing to offer them. Nothing. And in fact, when people who are not followers of Jesus think of the church, many are suspicious at best and think the church is evil at worst. And what this means is we can no longer open our doors on a Sunday morning and expect people to join us. For the most part, that just isn't happening. People will simply not make their way into our churches no matter how attractive we make them. That might sound like really bad news, but let me reframe that as really good news. First, none of this surprises God. None of it. He knows this. He knows what's going on. He's not sitting on his throne in heaven saying, oh my goodness, I didn't see that coming. This doesn't surprise him. And second, this cultural landscape presents an opportunity for the church, for God's gathered people. The church is the people, it's not a building. And if you're following in your notes, our cultural landscape provides an opportunity to live as sent people who give themselves fully to Jesus and his mission. Could it be? Like, let's just think about this for a minute. Could it be that God has brought this time about to turn the church inside out, and instead of us waiting for fish to jump into the boat, we go out and we fish for people? Jesus actually said that. And I believe the time is prescient for a corrective for God's capital C church to be on mission and live as sent People. That's what it's going to take to reach people with the good news of Jesus in our culture. The church, the people of God, are his vehicle for the completion of the mission. God's people are the way the mission of Jesus goes forward. So the question is no longer, I want us all to hear this, the question is no longer if we are sent. The question is where and how where and how, because we are a sent people. So with our remaining time together this morning, I want to talk about the missional practices, the habits that we see in the life of Jesus that can lead us toward living intentionally as sent people, because sometimes I just wonder, how can I do this? How can I join him? And what I want to say up front is rather than seeing these as add-ons to your already busy life, we're all busy. If you're following in your notes, the context of living as sent people is our everyday lives. It's our everyday lives. When we see Jesus praying or asking questions or blessing someone or eating with people, it was in the context of his ordinary everyday life. We read all the time, as he was walking, while he was passing through, as was his custom, Jesus met people where they were in his everyday life. And if you read the Great Commission in the original Greek, this is really fancy. i said before I'm a word nerd, so I'm just going to share this with you. It's interesting to me. The words, therefore, go and make disciples, conveys a continuous action that goes on into the future. It's not a one-time going. So the idea when we read the Great Commission is more like as you're going along in life. Going where? Everywhere everywhere. And what this means, when we join Jesus in his mission, in our jobs, in our workplaces, in the season of life we're in, you have littles at home, and you wonder if what you're doing is making a difference, and how you could possibly join Jesus in his mission, you can. At your school, on the community playground, on a sports team, at parks, in your families. Any place we go. Listen, hear this, friends. Any place we go has the potential for eternal impact. Anywhere we go. So as we go, let's look at four practices of Jesus that allowed him to live intentionally sent. The first habit, if you're following your notes, is pray. Pray for our ones, and for opportunities to join God where he's already working. Pray. And we're going to spend the most time of any of these practices on this because I believe it's the most important. Prayer is the most important piece of rediscovering God's heart for the one. And as I've thought about this, I'm convinced the root of us not reaching our ones, our friends and our families that we care so much about that are still on the way, that are asking questions, is due to a lack of prayer. I can name my friends and family who are still on the way, and then it just slips my mind to pray for them. I'll pray a few days a week, and then I'll just forget. I've done better during this series, but I want that to continue when this teaching series is over. And that's because prayer has the power to change things, to change situations, to change hearts, to change me. I believe when Jesus was alone in prayer, one of the major things he prayed about were for those who did not believe yet. I believe he prayed for them because he knew the power of prayer. Steve Carter wrote a book called This Invitational Life, and he had a quote that I won't forget for a long time. I just want to read this over you. The power of prayer. He says, The worst alcoholic you know is just one prayer away. The angriest person you know is one prayer away. The biggest control freak in your community is one prayer away. The most dangerous criminal in your city is one prayer away. The most drug-addicted person you know is one prayer away. The worst terrorist in the world is one prayer away. The meanest boss you've ever had is one prayer away. The most narcissistic person you know is one prayer away. The most racist person you know is one prayer away. The most dysfunctional person in your family is one prayer away. The most hate-filled person you know is one prayer away. The most treacherous, evil, broken, despised sinner you know is still just... One prayer away, and he finishes with these words that are just that piercing. At one time, you were one prayer away. Do you remember the day you prayed that prayer? Do you remember how that one prayer changed everything for you? Do you believe? Let me ask you, do you believe? that your friends and family, your ones, are one prayer away. Because they are. And we need to continue to pray for them no matter how long we have to pray. And in addition to praying for friends and family and our ones, we pray to join God in his mission. We pray for opportunities to join God where he is already working as we go throughout our day. When Jesus retreated to be alone in prayer, I believe another one of the things he prayed was where to join the work of the Father who was already working. Have you ever thought about this? This is just a a fascinating thought. It's not in the scripture, but it's a fascinating thought. Jesus was God, yes, but he was also fully human, which means he didn't have everything mapped out for three years. Could it be? That after spending time in prayer, Jesus went where his father sent him, and he went not knowing the whole plan, but going in expectation of what God might do there. For instance, let's just take the woman at the well. Jesus spent time in prayer. Maybe his father told him, I want you to go to a well in Samaria, and I want you to be there in the middle of the day. And Jesus said, Father, that's where you're working. I want to join you where you're working. I'm going to go. And then this woman shows up in the middle of the day. Maybe he knew about it. Maybe he didn't. But when that woman showed up, he began to sow seeds of grace because he knew God was working. How do we pray this way? Expectantly to ask God where he's working and to lead us, right? Jesus says this in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. It says, Jesus responded to the Jewish leaders, I assure you that the Son can't do anything by himself except what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. The Father loves the Son and shows him everything that he does. He will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. Gosh, if even the son couldn't do anything by himself, how could we ever possibly join Jesus in his mission without praying and discovering the heart of God and where he's working? We're all responsible to be on mission. We're all set, right? But the Spirit shows us where and how. He empowers us. He reveals that to us. And so as we go throughout our day, we pray and then we pay attention to who God might be putting on our path. And living this way changes how we live, how we think, we expect God to work. And we anticipate how he might already be working and how we might be able to join him wherever we go. But it all starts with prayer. Prayer is the first practice. The second practice that we see in the life of Jesus, if you're following your notes, is to ask questions. Ask questions. We talked about these last fall, but we want to bring them back because they're so important. We hope they become part of our DNA here at Cherry Hills. Contrary to some assumptions, Jesus is not the ultimate answer man, but he's more like the great questioner. In the Gospels, Jesus asks so many more questions than he answered. To be precise, he asks 307 questions. He is asked himself 183 questions, of which he answers three. Jesus displayed incredible, compassionate curiosity with people, and he asked those questions to connect with them, so that at a certain point, the answer had to make a decision who do you say that I am? Who touched me? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked a lot of open-ended why and what questions, and then he listened to understand rather than listen to reply, which is what we do most of the time. We ask questions for answers. Jesus asked questions for awareness, Right? We ask questions for information, and then to reply, Jesus asked questions to provoke transformation. And this is helpful to remember in our conversations, because Jesus was in the provoking business, not the convincing business. And this is good news for us to remember: it is not our job to convince anyone to follow Jesus. That is the Holy Spirit's job alone. Our job, our mission, is to be available and to live as sent people to join Jesus in his mission. So as we go throughout our everyday, ordinary lives, we live with sent people, beginning with prayer, and by asking questions as a way to connect with people so that we might have the opportunity to go deeper into what really matters in life. We ask questions. The third practice that we see Jesus utilizes, he blesses. If you're following in your notes, we bless with words of affirmation or acts of kindness. Like Jesus, we look for tangible ways to meet a need. Tangible ways to meet a need. And as we read the Gospels, we see Jesus do this all the time. But the most famous story that Jesus told about blessing, I believe, is the Good Samaritan found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. An expert in the law, in this story, an expert in the law, a religious leader, asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Many of you have already heard this, who is my neighbor? And the word he used here was reah, which is a noun. It's a noun, which means someone close by from my own tribe or my own country. It inferred that neighbors looked and dressed and ate and behaved and believed the same things. So Jesus tells the story of a man beaten and left for dead on the road, and two religious leaders, Jewish leaders, see the man, and they pass him by and they leave him for dead. And then Jesus makes the hero of the story a despised Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. And the Samaritan cared for the dying man and showed him mercy. And then Jesus completely changes the question. He looks at this Jewish leader, and he says, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus did something fascinating here, right? He didn't just change the question. He turned the word neighbor from a noun into a verb. And he said, rather than asking who my neighbor is, the better question is who can I be a neighbor to? Who can I bless? This isn't a story about random acts of kindness. This is a story about intentional love. The reason the Good Samaritan is so meaningful because it is a picture of what Jesus did for us. When we were broken and abandoned, Jesus came. When we had no hope for rescue, Jesus came. When we were forgotten and considered unclean and damaged, Jesus came. He carried us, he stayed with us, he paid for us, and he promised to return. And as we become more like Jesus, we go into our community as sent people, we begin with prayer, we ask questions that are compassionately curious, and if we can, we bless people. We bless them. And I want to suggest two ways to do that. One is words of affirmation. It's the simplest way. It doesn't cost a thing. We can send somebody a note, an email, a text, or a spoken word. And I guarantee, if you are willing to look for it this week as you go about your everyday life, God will bring someone across your path who needs words of affirmation and needs encouragement. He will do that. And you can do that in Jesus' name. The second way is an act of kindness. Like the Good Samaritan, we look for ways to tangibly meet needs in the name of Jesus. And Let me alleviate what you might be feeling right now. This doesn't have to be something big or expensive. It really doesn't. Most of the time, we could usually satisfy a need doing something small, but we think something small doesn't really count, so we just don't do anything. Don't discount a small act it can lead to a conversation where you can share why you are doing that. And so I want to invite you to turn your notes over really quick. I just want to, uh, you can save these for future reference, but under the third habit or practice, I I just want to share a couple ways you might be able uh, to practice uh, an act of kindness this week. One is invite family and friends or your one to the family movie night next Sunday. I've already said this, but maybe it would bless someone to get out of the house and participate in a fun, free evening at the movies. And another idea this time of year is help somebody rake leaves. Go, go serve side by side with them, shoulder to shoulder, and get into some conversations and ask questions, and then pray that you might have an opportunity to share why you're doing that and the hope that you have in Jesus. These are just things we can do in our everyday lives that puts us on the path where God might be working. And the last one that I want to share with you uh, today, number four, if you turn your notes back over it, share a meal. Share a meal. There are multiple stories of Jesus sharing a meal with people. I want to read just a couple of these for you. A wedding feast at Cana at Matthew's house with a whole bunch of other despised tax collectors, Simon the Pharisee, the house of Mary and Martha, the house of one of the chief Pharisees, the house of Simon the leper, the Last Supper, the house of too many met on the road to Emmaus, and in Jerusalem with his disciples after his resurrection. One of Jesus' main missional practices was sharing a meal with people. Like Jesus, we look for ways to share a meal with people who are still on the way. And what I've discovered is the table is a great equalizer in relationships. When we eat together, we discover we have more in common than we have different. We share stories and hopes and fears and disappointments. We open up to one another, and we may have the opportunity to share Jesus. On the back of your notes again, I put just a couple different ideas for you this week. You could invite uh, neighbors or friends over to sit around a fire pit this fall. Who doesn't love to come over and make s'mores and sit out back, sit around a fire, arrange a coffee or lunch with someone? Maybe it's a coworker for you. Again, how does this fit into your, uh, your schedule? Or have, have lunch or dinner with another family invite some friends over. But there's different ways we can look to join Jesus in his mission. To reach our ones, we must live as sent people. And we need to practice different practices, and some of those are to pray, to ask questions, to bless people when we can, and share a meal. Simple habits, right? Simple, but can you imagine the impact they could have if people of every generation gave themselves fully to Jesus and his mission and intentionally practiced just some of these? I think it could change our relationships with our family and friends and our ones in our community. I really believe that. So the question I want to leave us with this morning, if you're following on your notes, and then I want to ask you to leave your notes out for just one more minute. The question I want to leave us with is how will I join Jesus in his mission? This week, how will you do that? What action step? And let me, let me say this. I'm going, to, I'm going to offer a minute here to think about this and how you may join him, but I want to say this up front as well, just so we have the right posture as we walk into these this week. We don't practice these things to necessarily get a response right? We practice these because we are joining Jesus in his mission, and joining Jesus in his mission means having a heart for the one. I saw a quote this past week, and it caused me to pause. I want to put it up on the screen for you. It just caught my attention. It said, Jesus died for you knowing you might never love him back. That is true love. Friends, Jesus went to the cross and did the will of the Father regardless of how we would respond. Jesus was faithful to God's mission and our job is to be faithful to that mission as well and to join Jesus in that mission. It's the Holy Spirit's job to draw people and reveal Jesus to people. We just need to make ourselves available and live as sent people. So we're going to give you just a moment. You may want to take your note, turn your notes over and just review some of those practices, but I want you to get really specific in this next minute. What has the Lord said to you? What has stood out to you today? What might he want you to step into in the next seven days? What practice or practices is he inviting you to join him in? Take just a moment reflect on that. joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.